Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And when the, when I'm asked, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of Bill Crystal? I think of handsome and virile and strong and employer and paycheck. Those all jump right up for me, Bill. Well, the paycheck's in the mail, obviously, <laughs> because of those, those excellent, candid, honest comments. You know, that's the kind of culture exactly. we have at the Weekly Standard. It can encourage the kind of candid expression. I just let ideas. it fly. No, I'm the Donald no Trump difference. of the podcast. I, no I just, difference to the you, editor or anything like that. You know what's interesting to me, Bill, is people have focused on the fact that the first word that comes to your mind for Hillary is the word liar. And not just that, that that's the word, but rather unsolicited, almost 200 people out of a 600-person sample <laughs> grab that word. What jumps out at me is that the word murder appears on have we ever had someone running for president where that word even appeared this is i I've, I've never seen a candidate with such an overall negative profile as a, as a former secretary of state hillary clinton yeah i was talking to a democrat about that the other day and and uh, he said well you know richard nixon in 68 his nickname was tricky dick and certainly everyone on the left and a lot on the right side of the spectrum too thought he was tricky and unreliable and there's some truth to that though i think it's not still not 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 to the extent that that's uh now kind of pervasive in the judgments of hillary clinton partly because of the server and the email but of course even that analysis doesn't do that much good for hillary nixon barely won by one percentage point with you know urban riots five hundred thousand troops in vietnam a discredited johnson presidency uh, even so he kind of uh you know barely made it to victory so if that's the hillary clinton campaign strategy it really depends on uh, republicans being in total and utter disarray and obama being pretty well thought of and hillary clinton sort of being able to just make it across the finish line, which is why I think Democrats increasingly, Democratic voters and some Democratic elites are just deciding, you know, whatever affection they still have for her and loyalty to the Clintons, they're not for her. And Biden's going to get in, and I think Biden, Sanders, and Clinton will be in a three-way race in a month. So you you really think Biden is going to get in? Yeah, I think he's going to get in. I just can't believe he'd be doing everything he's doing now, and then and then and then letting it be known publicly. That's the important part. And then back out. It just looks kind of look. Uh, kind of pitiful. I think if he didn't run at this point, his only reason for not running, I suppose, would be that he thinks he couldn't win and he doesn't want to admit that. I think he'll run. I think he'll get a little bounce at first. I'm not sure. On the other hand, Biden doesn't have a great you know, history of running for president, and he may top out around 25, 30 percent. And then I still think Elizabeth Warren is the one they've been waiting for. I mean, the heart and soul, you and I have been in politics some. I mean, there are these moments where parties just want to nominate someone or a certain type of person. And Elizabeth Warren, both in terms of her left-wing economic populism and being a woman, so she has both the identity politics and the class politics. The Sanders has the class politics. Hillary has the identity politics. Warren has both. I think Warren is who they want to nominate. I've got to think that Elizabeth Warren looks up uh, in early October, mid-October, maybe after Biden's gotten in and, and it sort of has topped out, maybe after the first Democratic debate, which I think is October 13th, something like that. And Elizabeth Warren looks up and says, you know what, I could beat Hillary and Biden and Bernie. And I, so I still, so I do not think Elizabeth Warren candidacy is at all out of the question. What about the hybrid candidacy that's been uh, discussed? The idea that Joe Biden would announce right up front, I'm only going to serve one term and my vice president's going to be Elizabeth Warren. And then he pulls the identity people, the anti-Hillary people, and walks forward to the nomination. 
Yeah, it's not crazy. I just think the one-term thing usually is uh, most people, when they've thought hard about it, have thought it would backfire. It makes you look, it makes you a lame duck from day one. And at some point, people say, well, why do we have to have the one-term Biden? Why do we just get Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it's unlikely. I think if Biden runs, he'll run, and they'll just say, "Look, I'm healthy. You know, I can. I'm not going to talk about how many terms I'm going to serve, but I'm going to continue Obama's agenda." Biden runs as Obama's for Obama's third term right now. And from a general election point of view, that doesn't look so promising because Obama's got about a 43 percent or something favorable rating. So it's not like Bush running for Reagan's third term in '88 when Reagan ends up at a, at a 55 percent favorable rating on election day. On the other hand, on the other hand, in a Democratic primary. Obama's numbers aren't bad, and they might think his general approval will go back up over the next year. So I, I don't think Biden should be dismissed. He's just, he just—he is kind of—he is what he is and right. hasn't, as I say, been that successful on the national level in the past. Uh, uh, the other thing that's interesting about the word cloud with Hillary Clinton, and, and keep in mind— the words were not on a list. People were simply asked, what's the first word that pops up? And these things spontaneously, liar, untrustworthy, dishonest, just, you know, the first three answers, just boom, right out. But also interesting that I think in the top five or six, the word bill came up. And you think about who's ever run for president before, where one of the first things you think of is who they're married to. And that's got that's a two-edged sword, Bill, as we saw with the latest on the emails, where we now know, thanks to lawsuits forcing the State Department to hand over this these emails, that Bill Clinton was actively trying to give a speech in North Korea because of the big payday. Yeah, and in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, probably the you know, next most repressive regime in the world after North Korea, or very close to it. That is, it does tell you something about Bill Clinton. Um, it, uh, they, they turned the State Department said, "Don't do it." So I guess that's to the credit of the State Department and maybe of, of Secretary Hillary Clinton. Now, but Bill Clinton's just another complication, and as these emails, you know, leak out the drip, drip of them. You no know, one of them, obviously, is so far at least has been dispositive, or at least this side isn't, but uh, of anything much. But I do think. It Again, if you're just a Democratic voter or a Democratic donor or a state legislator or congressman, congresswoman, you think, oh, who knows what else is in there? You know, who knows what's going to come out in June of, of 2016? Who knows what's going to come out in September of 2016? Why do we want to run the risk? Is Hillary Clinton really that much better than Biden or Warren as, a, as an actual candidate or president? And again, I do think it, it all damages Hillary's chances. But it's also, I think it adds to it because it's of the same piece. Why have a secret server? Why go through these mass? Why have a Clinton foundation with an employee who's both your number one assistant at the State Department and works for the Clinton Foundation and works for a private company? Why have Bill giving these speeches? You mentioned the you know the horrific regime in Africa. They were going to pay him six hundred thousand dollars. That's like you know uh, there are probably five people in that country that earn six hundred thousand dollars in a no, year. And there he yeah, is shaking good. down, and it all fits to the same part. The Clintons look at, quote, public service as a way to benefit the Clintons. No, that's a good point about the, you know, that's probably some percentage of their, non-trivial percentage of their GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're right. I was thinking about this, just reading the story yesterday, and, you know, well, was this inevitable? Was this just always going to happen when Hillary ran? And I, it occurred to me, I mean, she could have stepped out of Secretary of State when she did, the very big, I guess, very end of 2012, after the first term, and said, okay. 
I'm going to do charity speeches only for charity for the next two years. Exactly. I'm not going to take any paychecks. I'm going to, you know, that she could have fixed or severed her relations with the Clinton Foundation or really got in and very conspicuously kind of fixed it. Obviously, the server, you know, that she had already made that decision. Mm -hmm. But and there was a way in which you could have imagined maybe it would have had to have been back in 2009 when she became Secretary of State and wouldn't have gone down that road of the server, in which she could have, I think, fixed her image in a sense and kind of separated herself from all that Clintonian baggage. But as you suggest, it's not only that she didn't separate herself from it, she kind of, by, by setting up the server, by giving the speeches, uh, by, by dissembling about exactly, you know, the, about the emails, and Sid Blumenthal emails, all that stuff, she's compounding the, the Clintonian image rather than doing what I think any sort of sensible political advisor would have advised her to do, which is, okay, take advantage of the fact that you've had a bit of a fresh start here as Secretary of State, and don't go back to what you were doing before. <laughs> but the Clintons are the Clintons, and Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Now, the good news for Republicans is their front runner, Bill, his word cloud features the words blowhard, arrogant, and idiot. So uh, there you go. See, Republicans got him right where they want him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, well, look, I don't think he's going to be the nominee. We have a couple of excellent pieces in the new issue that's just up online this morning by Chris Caldwell and Julius Krein. I also have a little editorial uh, on Trump and Trumpism, which does try to explain, in a sense, why uh, Republican primary voters at one and the same time would use some of those words about Trump. And I think deep down don't expect to nominate him for president, but want to tell pollsters that they're inclined to be for him or that they support him or that they like him, want to come see him give speeches, want to talk about him, because he is saying some things and saying them in ways that they find the rest of the Republican uh, candidates and the Republican establishment not saying. So I think think I think Trump and Trumpism is actually an interesting phenomenon uh, and one that other Republicans could learn from without going soft on Trump and saying he should be the nominee or that there's not an awful lot to criticize there. Uh, the question is, does Trump or Trumpism represent what it means to be a conservative or a Republican in 2016? And that's the case that uh, the Clinton campaign is trying to make. I think yesterday she said that all the Republicans are Trump without the hair. CNN is, you know, and, and other parts of the New York Times pushing the, the meme that what you hear from Trump is what you would really hear from Republicans if you sat down at a diner table with them. And that's what the, you know, he's, he's a reflection of what the right is today. Is that true? And the second part is, if it's not true, is it a danger that this will be what independent swing voters will take away from the Trump candidacy? Yeah, I think it's not true. I don't think it's much of a danger, because I do think he is such a brand in and of himself that people don't necessarily look at, listen to Trump and then think, well, gee, that's what Jeb Bush or Walker will be or Scott Walker or Ted Cruz or any of the others is like. I guess there's some danger, of course, of the spillover, but maybe it's a little bit like thinking of Spiro Agnew or someone who was a flawed messenger of what was a partly true criticism, in that case, of the liberal media, defense of middle America. I compare Trump to Nixon in my editorial, who also turned out to be a pretty flawed messenger. Um, you know, we're Reagan Republicans. We, we want to not just be Nixonian in terms of channeling the grievances in middle America, which is a lot of what Nixon did. So Nixon did more than that. I uh, do think that uh, so the media will try to say that the, the Republican Party is nothing more, I guess, than Trump and Trumpism. And Republicans need to make clear that while they understand Trumpism, they're not simply uh, Trump 
Trump by to keep to keep on to keep on inventing new new terms here for for Trump. The key is to get, as I said, the answer. I think a lot of it is uh, up from Trumpism. They have to get above that and beyond that. But they also do have to understand what's going on when thirty, forty percent of Republicans start to say that they favor Trump or they prefer him to the Republican establishment or the congressional leadership. But I do think the extent to which he embraced, he, he uh, expresses an unapologetic American nationalism, the sense that, you know, he's a tough guy who's going to fight for America. He's not some guy who thinks the point of being president is to uh, work with the international community and subordinate American interests or, or that fighting for America just means you know, giving a nice speech about America. It really does mean a kind of fighting. I do think Trump's getting a lot of credit for that. The people have the sense that he's a tough deal maker, a guy who's willing to go into the trenches and slug it out. The other candidates could use a lot more of that. But again, I think that can be done in a more, in a Reaganite way rather than a, a Trumpite way. But um, that's up to the other candidates. You know, one thing that people haven't said enough is one reason Trump's doing so well. The other candidates who are pretty good fields, we've been saying that for months, right. they're not running very good campaigns. You know, they're boring. Well, but that's what the, uh, the what I hear from people who are supporting the other candidates is doesn't matter what kind of campaign we run, the media is not going to cover it, and we have to get into the you know the circus ring with Trump to get coverage, which just takes us right back to the circus and leaves us away from the messages that we think are you know about solving problems and giving people something to vote for in November of 2016. Well, no, it's a fair point. I'd be frustrated if I were trying to run one of these campaigns. Look, politics is part performance and part substance, and they just need to take a, maybe do a little bit more performing and find a little maybe some gimmicky ways, frankly, to to make their points, play off Trump. But surely that couldn't be. That's not impossible. And I, I do right. think the campaigns are right to be frustrated. They, the Trump's just the liberal media love and the conservative media love giving Trump all this attention. But there are ways to play off that and and take advantage of that as opposed to simply, you know, sitting around kind of wringing your hands about it. But yeah, also Trump is great at seizing the moment. I mean, he, you know, he's good at this. I, I was watching the video of him having the woman in South Carolina pull his hair so he could she could report back to the New York Times and everyone, yes, it's real. And I think to myself, you how comfortable you are with what you're doing with with the, you know, the, the cameras are on, the crowds are here, you're a major figure and you're out there letting some total stranger yank on your hair because you know what you, you in other words it's so internalized what it is you're trying to do. And you watch the other candidates and they all look to a certain level inauthentic. And I wonder if there's one of them who can kind of embrace their authentic self and step up and go, I'm going to be Trump not in the sense of being a you know kind of blowhard showman. I'm going to be Trump in the sense that I'm just going to be me and, and I'm going to run on it and you're either going to like it or you're not. And I can be content with that when it's all over. No, I think that's right. And I think the other part of it is, as you say, sort of seizing the moment. There's stuff happening in the news, Americans right. act heroically on a train in France. A million things are going on in Congress and in the world. You just look at the impression these other candidates are thinking, hey, look, this is a big story today. And one way I can make a point is to give my take on the story or do something that's vaguely right. connected to the story. Place a phone call to those Americans, um, do something conspicuous that shows that I understand that's kind of what America is about. I mean, whatever it is, that's just a tiny example. There are ways in which uh, I've always found this in politics. These campaigns get in their own. They become so, I don't know what the right word, in a bubble, but in right. inward looking. So their strategy, they have a speech scheduled in 10 days on this topic, so they're going to be rolling out this topic, and this topic is kind of off the news and somewhat incidental, and then they earnestly give interviews the day before, and they brief people on this topic, and it ends up, of course, barely in the back of the papers or, or you know, getting no, no, uh, no one's looking at it online, whereas if it's stuff that's front-page headlines, 
one way to get to make a, make your point is figure out your take on that headline or, or what you've done that's related to that, or be introduced legislation if you're in the Senate uh, that's somehow related to the to that issue, and suddenly you're sort of in the main story. That's something Trump has a real sense of, and the other candidates don't. I think. Absolutely, when the when the mark market was falling uh, this week. Uh, turmoil in China. Trump went right up with a very short, you know, video about 20 seconds long, punching China right in the nose and saying he was going to make America great again. And I watched that and thought to myself, "There's not a single other candidate who had the imagination to do this." There you go, Donald Trump. Once again, the imaginative, a brilliant, talented, and handsome Bill Crystal, my employer. That's my word cloud. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Michael. Thanks. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.